the world is ending. Like, right now. In fact, it might be too late. Oh, wait. Sorry, this isn't wait at. But let's assume that you didn't have front row seats to the apocalypse and wanted to tell people about what you think it'll be. How would you do that? And maybe more importantly, how would you do that well? And not doing the uh, jumping the shark, wildly depressing, incredibly stupid ways that some of our favorite long-running zombie TV shows do it. This episode on Why Are You Talking About This? Nerd. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wait Hat Nerd. I am your host, William, and I will be your guide through the end times today. And, uh, no joke there. Knowing my luck, I'll survive the bombs dropping and end up just being the uh, mentor character in the Bethesda game of your bunker child's life. Also, once again, the joke is that I'm incompetent, and so the idea of me surviving the apocalypse long enough to guide you is fucking hilarious. But with that frogging out of the way... I want to thank you very much for listening. It means the world to have my voice pumping through your ears, even if it's because every other form of entertainment has been destroyed by the nukes, and you happen to find a phone in a landfill next to an environmental storytelling skeleton with this episode downloaded on it. Your listenership is still appreciated. Before we begin the show, I don't really have anything else to talk about. Uh, Just make sure to like, share, download, subscribe, anything else you want to help out with uh, for the show. Um... Also, make sure to leave a review and help me grow so this become my full-time job. Uh, that would be fantastic. I'm already starting there uh, a little bit, just like the, the tiniest first steps. Uh, one of our episodes got uh, double-digit listeners for the first time, which is very exciting. But uh, yeah, let, with that, let's uh, let's get to the actual show. So today, as you might have gathered, we're talking about the apocalypse, or rather how to end your world and also what to do once you start ending it. And if you're wondering, yes, this is a double feature episode because I didn't really have enough to just make it about like calling a reader's bluff and actually killing everyone. So instead, we're going to be talking about apocalypse fiction because generally speaking, once you decide to blow up your world, it would be kind of unsatisfying to your readers if you... If they finally called your bluff, so you end the world, and it's rocks while everyone dies, and, you know, you know, and then an unskippable cutscene plays with the bad guys win and finish the evil ritual and then zoom out as the world pops like is it. That was a little gross. Uh, but let's first define apocalypse fiction. This is a kind of story where the world is either about to, currently is, or has already ended as we know it. Things are 
clearly, going very poorly for humanity or whoever else just happens to be there. Most of the time, this will ultimately end with either everyone dead or a very small group of humans or, you know, whatever other species surviving just long enough to restart the race. And this term comes from the uh, Greek word associated with change, apocalyptin, or apocalyptian. Whatever. You, you know I'm not going to pronounce things right. Uh, but that means to uncover. And also, interestingly enough, um, that term is usually not like uh, not necessarily like a negative connotation. It's usually kind of negative, but it's like a, like a revelation. Oh, yeah, like the book of revelations. Uh, also, just real quick, let's talk about the world-ending stakes. And this is mostly self-explanatory, but basically it's where the threat is so massive that the entire world is at risk. And this is particularly popular in fantasy, superhero media, and eldritch horror, but can exist in basically any media. Because in every story, if you say the entire world is at risk, uh, the brain of your audience tells them that not only are all the waifus they jerk off to at risk, but so are all the characters that they cringely relate to without realizing that they're supposed to hate them, uh, the cool magic items they like, and also those cool locations. But that also they themselves are at risk. Even though the reader clearly isn't in any danger, the brain is a big lump of dumb, and if they're invested on some level, their brain thinks that they're actually there. And the cool thing is that this is endlessly scalable. I mean, the current state of the world, the population, the literal actual planet, the known galaxy, the known universe. I mean, sky's the limit because as far as the uh, chewed up wad of stupid in your skull is concerned, the world is the biggest possible thing. Even then, it's actually really just contextualizing it into shit that you actually care about and not really like the entire world. Uh, your, your brain's a little bit selfish. Um, but... Let's uh let's list the pros and cons with this one. Uh, because as explained by Red on OSP, a great channel. I love them by the way. If you don't know of them and you're here, you're lying. Uh, but also, uh, go watch their things because I I love them. They're adorable. Uh, you're basically playing a game of poker with your audience, where the bet is their investment. Because, sure, I mean, world-ending stakes are pretty effective the first few times you do it. But very quickly, they'll realize that they've seen the song and dance, and now the bluffing begins. If they don't believe you, and you don't do it, you know, like, if they don't believe you'll end the world and you don't do it, then you lose because they aren't invested anymore. If they believe you'll end the world and you end the world, then your audience isn't going to think, like, oh, wow, that's really cool and unique. They're going to think, wow, what a fucking asshole. I was really looking forward to Elf getting your titties out. Also, the world they were enjoying is dead and the good guys lost. Now, if they believe that you're going to end the world and you don't, you lose because the audience thinks they're either lying to them or they're invested and they won't believe that the stakes were high enough. Since, clearly, it doesn't matter that the bad guy has an army of 5 million grizzled undead veterans, 30,000 dragons, dragons, 30 elite orc thundercocks, and two liches summoning demons using titty milk and naughty words, and also the world is ending tomorrow. And if they don't believe you, and you do it anyways, then sure, you get the short-term shock value, but at the same time, you still lose because, good job, fuckface, that was your world. You blew up your own world to prove that you're stupid enough to do it. 
This only works in the short term, and it can't be a reoccurring issue that just straight up gets solved. Because if humans are good at anything, it's pattern recognition. Which means they'll see through your whole fool you twice, fuck you once routine. And even if you do have world-ending stakes all the time, you gotta make sure that there's some fucked up shit that happens from it. I mean, your character should not come out from the end of the world unscathed, and neither should the entire planet. You know, maybe your favorites have to die, or there's some kind of corruption that they take on. Otherwise, your audience is going to get very quickly desensitized to this. Okay, but the pros and cons for apocalypse fiction is a lot longer. So the first pro is that it's very cathartic. Because talking about the end of the world helps us to massage our fears and anxieties into neat little boxes and toss them into the river of time. Which is a poetic way to, say, address them in a healthy manner. Or, as my own anxiety calls it, being a big old dumb pussy that can't handle problems of your own and is letting the government win by avoiding being anxious about things you can't control. Anyways, this is cathartic because it lets our brain think that we're practicing and preparing for doomsday scenarios. Which, let's be fair, we aren't. Most of us are collateral damage, but the brain would like to pretend that we're all the badasses. Anyways, the second pro is that it's a highly experimental genre. Because if the world's going to end and nothing matters when everyone's dead, then your audience very well will probably let you get away with some wacky shit. It's also really exciting and entertaining because of that. Because, I mean, you know, obviously you don't have to worry about follow-up. You can just smoke assy grass as the entire fucking world falls apart. This is also a really good genre to write warnings, because you can basically write whatever story you want to warn people about some fucky shit you're seeing that might end the world at some point. Or to make an allegory about something you want to warn them about. You know, like how sun decimation cannons and sci-fi stories are functionally just nukes. Which, hey, which, hey, can help with your anxiety because you feel like you're helping. You're not necessarily helping, but it feels like it. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a little bit of a depressing way to say that. Um, now, another benefit is that it's very speculative. I mean, the sky's the limit on how the world ends, and you also don't really have any constraints as far as, like, historical accuracy goes when everything not Antarctica was turned into Antarctica. I mean, no one really knows or cares about who was in charge about 300 years ago when the world ended, only that it happened. And also, this kind of story is very character-focused and is really good at pulling people's heartstrings. Because, you know, everything and everyone is fucked, so it's not like you're going to run a plot-focused story, since that's really the less interesting part. Everyone knows the ending already. The more interesting part is the people. What are they like? How are they dealing with this? And also, if your audience loves the characters or will very quickly fall in love with them, then you'll get a pretty big reaction out of them. And they might even start hoping that something will come along and fix all this. And sure, they might be pissy if something actually does, there's a good chance that they're still invested. And of course, counterintuitively, these stories can be weirdly hopeful. Like making characters feel hopeful for the first time in their life after society collapses, flipping the script on the powers that be, giving people hope that they'll eventually one day escape, just like these characters, and also providing the characters and audience small victories. I mean, sure, the world is ending, but Jane did finally get laid, and it felt fucking fantastic, and now she can watch the asteroid hit, in the afterglow of a good nut. Okay, so what's the bad? By first, it's hard to 
actually get people interested. Because if they know it's hopeless, most people are going to resist getting invested at the very least, and at the worst, they'll never even try in the first place. It's also a huge turnoff to end the world, especially if you give them a bit of the world beforehand, or it's the capstone of your series. Sure, you might be trying to draw them in with this whole exciting experimental spec fix stuff, but if they'd rather just keep up the same shit different day, it's a hard sell. I also, obviously, no real going back. Once you kill everyone and everything, it's gone forever. You also can't pull out the last second to really go back on it. I mean, this genre is like your possessive yandere girlfriend wrapping her legs around your hips. And once you're stuck in, you aren't getting out without the power of God and anime on your side. Or, you know, like, fucking your goth sister like that one game all the VTubers are playing right now that makes my penis very confused. Also, much like that last sentence, there's no dismount. When you do an apocalypse, there's no tune in next time. There isn't really a strong glimmer of hope, if any, because everyone is dead and the world blew up. And sure, you can do a post-apocalypse, but I'd like you to point to a post-apocalypse story that doesn't, that doesn't make you unrelentingly sad at the end. The genre is also a really bad choice if you suck at character-focused stories. Because, obviously, that's most of the thing that's going to be driving interest. Because, again, everyone knows how this ends. It's not like you're going to pull some wacky shit out of your ass. And, finally, if you destroy a world that your audience loves, then, uh... Man, they're going to fucking hate you. Which, if you see how people react to creators doing minor tweaks to, like, minor lore elements, then you'd be right to be shitting and coming and pissing in your pants right now. But, with those basics out of the way, let's go over the history. Okay, and we're back to those goddamn Egyptians, and Greeks, and Babylonians, and you know what, we're just bringing in all the classic ancient civilizations, because since basically humans understood the concept that one day we'd all die, and that probably the world and the gods would eventually die too, we've been telling each other fucked up stories about how everything you know and love is going to die. And these traditions are scattered across culture, religion, and region without really anything connecting them together, besides the common element that everyone is dead. And things we have today, like surviving tales of the Greek end of the world, are either the most common surviving story, or just the ones that historians later decided they liked best, and then mass-published. But all that changed in the period between 200 BC and 100 BC, when, as one of the preeminent writing cultures of the ancient days, which is a complimentary insult depending on how you feel about books, you fucking nerd. The Jewish people write the book of Daniel, Enoch, the fourth book of Ezra, and the second and fourth books of Baruch. All of which touch on the apocalypse and also discuss the downfall of Judaism and the entire world. Cherry Reed definitely suggests. But these books are the first time we actually see a consistent end-time narrative written, even if the books disagree with each other. These are still, like, consistently distributed across the culture. And following in the tradition of their Jewish ancestors, the Christians, oh, and also if you're offended by that, eat a dick and read a book, it's the truth, from around 180 to 400 AD were writing their own apocalypse stories, including the Apocalypse of Peter, Apocalypse of Paul, Ascension of, Asc <laughs> Ascension of Isaiah, and the Testament of Abraham. 
But these stories aren't really about describing a blow-by-blow of how the Lord offers to let you catch these holy hands and you oblige. It is more about personal salvation through Christ. So while, yeah, the end of the world is happening, that's background for why people are giving themselves to God. Which, I mean, fair. If I saw the Lord himself going Mike Tyson on Satan and it was splitting the world in half, I'd probably be pretty hyped, too, to I mean, join his side, at least. However, these stories weren't exceptionally popular, as you might imagine, because this is probably the first time you're hearing about them. But as the Middle Ages went on, and the church became more and more powerful and got death grip on Europe's nutsack, they started to ask what the end might look like. And this is when we get a glut of art, writings, and existential Christian fears about Armageddon, which continued through the Renaissance. Which then got a brick square in the temple from the Enlightenment era. Because amongst all the crimes of the era, if you didn't know how fucking evil some of the stuff going on at that time was, look up scientific racism as a starting point. Arguably, one of these crimes, or a redeeming thing about the period, depending on your opinions of Abraham, is the disillusionment with religion. People started getting really skeptical about I mean, really anything that had to do with faith and religion and turned to science to justify them being terrible people to every other person on the planet that wasn't their skin shade and from vaguely the same geographical area. And also the intellectuals of the era began to doubt that the end would ever come. I mean, the gravy, tra- the gravy train of slavery, industrialization, and mercantilism was busting out the, sta- out the station, and oh boy, is this train never going to stop? So, to them, the idea of the apocalypse was preposterous. And pause for dramatic effect, and to prove that that's sarcastic, uh, which would make sense that as it began to die down, we have our first example of modern apocalyptic stories. This time, fictional, with Mary Shelley's The Last Man. Oh, you thought she only wrote Frankenstein? What are you, a sexist? Anyways, this story followed the destruction of humanity via a plague, which in the modern day is a little bit too close for comfort. And while it was a critical flop and not very widely distributed, a lot of people loved it and it entered and it entirely revitalized the genre. In 1885, Richard Jeffries wrote the book After London, where a dude goes under the streets of the ruins of London on a grand adventure to prove to another tribe that he's worthy enough to bang someone's daughter. Which definitely sounds like a dude thing to do. Thirteen years later, H.G. Wells writes his massive success, War of the Worlds, responsible for one of America's first mass panic incidents during a radio broadcast, and also, arguably, the creation of science fiction and possibly the apocalypse genre. However, also, you could argue that it's more about the alien apocalypse genre and that Mary Shelley created the actual apocalypse genre, or you could argue that the uh, Jewish people created the first apocalypse genre, but... For them, that was religion, not... Yeah. Uh, But anyways, um, his work also inspired the apocalyptic stories of the 1960s, which also sees a massive uptick in popularity and recognition, including books like The Last Man and After London, shooting up in popularity, and a ton of new books being written. But why? Well, because people of this era were living in not only a time where the entire world had changed not less than 20 years ago, and was changing even more extremely again, had just lived through the worst war of human history, had lived long enough to see nukes come into existence, 
And also, we're in the middle of the Cold War. Oh, and also all the uh, plastic and aerosol and oil and pesticides that make your life a lot more convenient. Yeah, those are killing you and your family and also ruining the planet. So, reasonably, a lot of anxiety was going on. And this sees books like The Drowned World, The World in Winter, uh, The Wind from Nowhere, The Crystal World, The Drought, I Have No Mouth Now I Scream, There Will Come Soft Rains, and other horrifically bleak and terrifying stories of the end of all life being released. And by the 1970s and 80s, tensions across the world were getting increasingly hot, and that generation hadn't yet developed the thick skin of apathy and near-suicidal desire for death to stop teasing our warm holes to just fuck us already that us youths have from living with the specter of the world ending since we came out the pussy. So they thought, and surprisingly were right, that if you wrote a story that can be summarized as, hey, maybe let's not blow up the entire fucking planet, please, people would maybe try to not do that. Which gave us stories like On the Beach, Damnation Alley, Down to a Sunless Sea, The Postman, and Ridley Walker. This era is also when zombie movies become a lot more common, and The Walking Dead becomes an apocalypse trope with The Dawn of the Dead being released in 1978. And over the next two decades, as nukes begin to fade from our minds and automation and disease starts to settle into the part of the anxiety factor between our ears responsible for existential horror, our fear focuses to zombies and robots. And this only intensifies into the mid-2000s and into the 2010s, as a fuck-ton of disease outbreaks, cases of mass hysteria and groupthink, social media brainwashing, the first whispers of AI, automated drones and and robotics, and several massive worldwide economic crises and terror attacks, these these forms of apocalypse see a stark rise. However, by the time we hit 2020... They've mostly come and gone. Why? Well, because one, the internet has lowered our collective attention spans by about five thousand percent, but also because we, re- but also because we realized, oh fuck, it's too late, and we've killed off humanity with climate change already, and now the biggest and baddest is the nature's revenge kind of narrative, where humanity's own hubris is what's killed us because we forgot that nature isn't mommy. She plays mommy because she's kinky but big titty goth girlfriend nature isn't going to take our abusive bullshit and is ready to remind us that she is and always has been plague, famine, floods, prey being eaten alive, and death. Also, my uh, nature simping aside, uh, I'm getting the vapors a little bit. Uh, we also realize that AI is a big piece of shit and won't be a threat for a long time and that also a zombie infection is highly unlikely to do a whole lot. Oh, also, just in case there is a super powerful AI in the future that has built a uh, Jupiter brain and is simulating all this back to tell if he needs to bring me back to be tortured for eternity, uh, look up Roko's Basilisk for me and read about it. And then also make sure your friends read about Roko's Basilisk. Alright, there's my contribution, Basilisk. Please leave me alone. But that catches up, so let's talk about these tropes. (laughs) 
Alright, so let's start with why the fuck it even matters to know all about apocalypse fiction. Generally speaking, it's because it's incredibly popular and people hunger for more constantly. Considering the whole, you know, existential dread thing. We're terrified about literally everything that isn't our own brain, and even then it's iffy if you have a mental health issue, or think about things longer than like 15 seconds. Yeah, you know, like how everything might not be real and it's just a hallucination you're having that you've tricked yourself into thinking is real, or how all of your thoughts don't ha- don't happen spontaneously, and we measure brain activity occur in anticipation of having a conscious thought. Which means that your brain is predicting your thoughts, and already has fully formed them before you even think it. Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Anyways, now that you're sufficiently having a mental breakdown, apocalypse fiction isn't going away anytime soon. So it's important to know how to do it, because if you're looking at it from a business of content creation perspective, you need to know your market and audience. It's also good to know so that if people start branding at your doorstep for it, you know in exactly what way to tell them to fuck off. But, uh, keep the door closed. That's probably a flesh gate. Not gonna say the other word for that, because that, that's some juju I do not want. But also, if you try your hand at this, it's important to make sure that it's cathartic and interesting, which are kind of the two main draws of this kind of fiction. Now, if you're writing an apocalypse as an end cap for your story, doing it well is much, much more important. Because if you really fuck it up, you know, sour people's memory of the universe, turn them off to your work, make a much more hostile fan base, and or make them send you a severed pig dick in the mail. Like, take Warhammer's End Times, for example. They were salty that Storm of Chaos didn't go how they wanted, so they took a game that was starting to lull in popularity and fucking killed it, to remind us that Games Workshop makes the rules around here, and if you won't play their game how they want it, they'll take their they'll take their ball and go home. Man, I wonder where I get that from. But anyways, they killed off basically everyone and straight up fridged a good like sixty to seventy percent of the characters. Had twenty five percent of the remainder do really out of character dumb shit to make sure everyone actually died this time, and also subverted their coolness like Throg killing Sigval by fucking sitting on him and farting, or Grimdor or Grimgore dick-kicking Archeon and promptly vanishing from the story, and the other 5% being hopelessly dragged into the abyss. And everyone fucking hated it so much that they kind of revived the setting with Age of Sigmar, and also Old World. Oh fuck. Train... Windows closed. There's no way the train should be that loud. Anyways, uh, and while I should do an entire episode on uh, story stakes, just know that you don't have to bring the stakes up to this level. Raising the stakes is not the only way to make a story interesting, and you can do things like make your audience afraid for characters that they like, do character development, you can feed the shippers, or you could resolve like plot elements and loose ends. You don't need bigger and bigger threats each week. If you get apocalyptic, then things will always have to be at this level to keep them interesting. Because you can't really go back from this, and once you've decided that, better, that bigger means better, you gotta keep going bigger. So you either have to end the world, or just never get to this point. But yeah, that's really why it matters. I know this was short, but it's one of those episodes that's kind of a trope breakdown and not really like, this shit's fucked and we need to do something about it. 
more just a thing to think about. So let's talk about how to actually do it in the application section. Okay, so let's start with world ending stakes. But first, I gotta continue with the last part. Keep in mind that most people who engage with your story do it because they like the characters. Assuming at least that you write characters that are interesting, lovable, or cool. Preferably two out of the three. Which means that your audience will probably be along for the ride if the stakes are a bit lower. So, don't feel like you need to do this to keep, the, to keep attention or keep up with your competition. Just write what feels good. However, if this is the direction you want to go, here's some ways to make it more interesting. So, firstly, you can establish that the world is under threat like this all the time, and that this is just how things work around here. And while sure, you can't really go any higher than this, what you can do is play this in a few ways. Firstly, is taking it as a joke. Say, like, in superhero media, this can be like, oh, well, Dr. Dickenstoffer built another death machine like he's also not part of the planet, and then they go and beat Dr. Dickenstoffer's IQ down a few points, put him in the prison hospital again, and then go to the den- and then go to dinner like they didn't just stop the world from dying. Or you can subvert it as a dramatic interpretation. Like if something happens that threatens the world, and the only way to solve it is using a doomsday device that threatens the world existence in another way, so now you have to summon Tentitilax to suck up the massive fucking black hole. But they're going to try to eat all of reality, so join us next week as our heroes find a way out of this shitstorm. And these methods can really work out for you. Because for the first one, it creates kind of a distinction between normal, everyday world-ending threat and credible world-ending threat. Like, you can't let your characters be all quippy and lighthearted during the everyday crisis, like Dr. Dickenstoffer, and focus more on the interpersonal drama. But then, you signal the audience when something is credible by having everyone be nervous or serious or even start to have a bit of a mental breakdown when confronted with this new threat. But if it's drama and terrible shit all the way through, then that also gets across that shit's fucked and that the stakes keep getting higher. Because while sure, these are all world-ending threats, the fact that they compound over and over again and there's no rest for the good guys will give your audience some of that good-good investment-breeding anxiety. Secondly, make this a threat that everyone opposes. Because, hey, if the world ends, then everyone loses including those season one bad guys you just have rotting in a jail cell. So a good way to show that this threat is on entirely new levels to bring back past villains and use them to oppose this new bad guy. And while, yes, this proves that this new threat is massive, it also doesn't really functionally give them any way to win. Because, think, if your party of scrappy adventurers jailbreaks the nine undead kings, frees Gorefucker the dragon from Gorefuck Mountain, allies with an army of goblinoids, and also one of them agrees to marry Leeches, the legally distinct not-a-mind-flayer, for his help, then there's no fucking way that this week's mad wizard can win. But it'll look like your protagonist had no other choice. And as a bonus, you get a bunch of bad guys that you weren't using anyways that you can callously mark on screen to show that this new bad guy means business. Especially Leeches. Leeches might cause some legal issues. Uh, also some shipping issues. Now, finally, if you want to use this, then make both failure and victory less black and white. 
failure can still have a bit of hope for the audience. Like, sure, maybe the good guys fail and the device went off, but their actions stopped it from reaching full power. Or, I mean, sure, the spell went off, but by sacrificing herself, your wizard character left a loophole in the portal of Endless Demon's spell that if you can find a way to splash dog piss on it, the entire portal closes and all the demons do the funny meme scream and vanish. Which gives your audience hope that not all is lost and gives you a chance to do something cool in the future with the same world, but with a new story and circumstances. Or maybe even to fix everything. But if your characters win, give the audience something that's lost because of it. Maybe, sure, the world didn't end and the good guys won, but your hero Lan- but your hero's Lancer had to throw himself into the big glowy annihilation orb and got his guts rearranged in the not fun way. Or, you know, they had to use their last wish, or big crazy magical MacGuffin is irrecoverably is irrecoverable now and no one can ever use it again. Or maybe the bad guy realized that they were going to lose, so they possessed someone, and that person blew themselves up to save the world, taking the bad guy out with them. Regardless, yes, it's a big accomplishment, but big accomplishments take sacrifices. Usually very expensive sacrifices. But with that, let's talk about the actual apocalypse, and there's two methods to write these. So the first method begins with picking your poison. How do you want everyone in your world to die? And really, sky's the limit. But some of the common ones would be things like invasions from aliens, demons, undead, stuff like that. Astronomical things like black holes and meteors, disease, environmental dangers, machine uprisings, zombies, natural disasters, nukes, stuff like that. And you can, of course, mix and match as you want or come up with stuff on your own. But the most important thing is to know why it's happening. Because then this lasts... Because then this lets you map out a series of events. And by making this map, you can advance the horrific shit going on and make it seem like more and more of a hazard and more and more unstoppable, as no matter what your heroes do, it just keeps progressing. This also lets you more easily map disruptions characters are able to carve out. You know, like maybe they managed to fuck up the trajectory of the planet coming towards their planet, and now they've bought themselves about another month to figure it out. Also, the type can help you figure out the tone. Oh, and also one of the articles I read was basically like, oh yeah, just close your eyes and harness your inner darkness. Like, I mean, holy fuck, on one hand that's metal, but also that's it's really dangerous and you should probably, like, you should probably talk to your, to your therapist if you have that level of inner darkness that you can write an entire post-apocalyptic book about how everyone died. Uh, yeah, just... Don't let your id into the world like that. That that's uh, that can go bad. However, also you should make sure to know when you're starting. Is it before, during, or after the end times? Because if you start in the before times, you'll have to get your audience invested in a normal-ass world, which can be kind of tough. But if you succeed, the end times actually genuinely worries them. If you start them during most... If you start them daring, most of these people, they won't give a singular fuck about, but you can get them kind of hooked with the uh, in-media res effect. Well, if you go post-apocalyptic with it, then you get the benefit of starting them off somewhere really exciting and new, and, you know, you can also do, like, actual world building. Uh, but you can also leave them pretty fucking confused on how all of this happened. I mean, none of these are bad, just different ways to approach basically the same thing. And 
slight variations of pros and cons for it. I mean, you could actually probably write like almost three entirely different stories, but the only difference is a is this part, and your audience will get three different outcomes. And then once your story actually starts is when there's a real big difference with normal story writing. Your character's goals and challenges they'll face. In general, a lot of the goals are going to be more survival-based than built around simple but relatable goals that are nonetheless pretty impactful to your audience. Like instead of a huge world-spanning adventure, maybe the girl... Maybe the goal is just to be able to wake up tomorrow. And also, while you'll have worries like food, water, shelter, and whatever gear you need for this particular apocalypse you decide to toss them into, most of the conflict and apocalypse stories are interpersonal human issues. Because it's not like the Harold it's because it's not like the average Harold Richard can fix the world and kill all the zombies. But he sure is capable of questioning the moral implications of letting a group of survivors because one of them has big Joe Jungaloos, and not because he's a good person. But now let's talk the other method, which begins with research. And hey, I know, research sucks and it takes forever. I mean, why do you think that I pick the field where I don't have to do it every day of my life until I die? Oh, wait. What you're going to look into is the anxieties of the time, or your own anxieties, and then turn the dial up to 11. Also, you're going to want to research what others have done in this genre before, you know, just to get your bearings, but don't, like, just straight up lift other people's work, obviously. But the next step is to play out the fears you found in the exact way that people who have, who have them are afraid that they'll go, which is kind of what the human brain worrying about the end times is just our noodle wiggling about something that we don't really have the structure to think about anymore, so we make up stories where that happens. I mean, think, a part of the fear around zombie stories is the prospect of being hunted and eaten alive. And our noodle is still afraid of that, but most of us don't have a reason to fear it. Hence, zombies. But what this does for your story is make sure it remains cathartic, either by letting your audience realize, oh wow, a lot has to go wrong for that to happen, this is a silly fear, or Oh, fuck. Oh, God. Have we not all died from that yet? Also, it'll make it clear to your audience that you've actually thought about this before, and that gives them something to relate to. Next, try to avoid some of the obvious cliches. I mean, honestly, look at what's been done before, and if you see a cliche that's been done a whole lot, then you might not want to do Then you might not want to do that one. Like, for example, the whole, uh, dude hides a zombie bite trope in order to make sure that you have some character drama, and also everyone fucking hates that guy. Because, I, you know, sure, this makes sense in a way, because no one wants to die or lose a limb, but if you're in a setting where once you get bitten, it's over, then why the fuck would you hide it? Like, if I'm with my friends and family, or if I'm with people that I trust and care about, then I'd prioritize their safety, as difficult as that might be. Not that, I'm, not that I, like, want them to just blow my head off, but, you know, like, give me, like, 15 pounds of plastic explosives, and I'll run into a horde and take them with me. But, anyways, just avoid things that are too obvious or that you really don't like. Make sure to also act, make sure to also use the actual strengths of the genre. You know, like, very strong imagery to really drive home the horror and panic. Keep the tension high by keeping the threat advancing towards your characters regardless of what they do. And make sure to keep your characters likable. 
includes my human emotion, natural reactions, moments of hope and love, as well as extreme violence and fear as possible. But also make sure that humanity doesn't go out like a bitch. I mean, sure, it's subversive to make humanity just roll over and die, but that isn't really the catharsis we necessarily want when we read these stories. It feels disappointing at best, and feels like a cop-out at worst. Or like a cringe, like, edgelord, like, oh, humans are fucking worthless type bullshit. Like, I mean, sure, the zombies have won, and your scrappy group of survivors are all dead and buried in rubble, except for your main character. But, have a group find them and pull them out despite the risk of themselves. Or, you know, like, the aliens are executing armed humans on sight, and your heroes are dead. But when the aliens all go to bed, all the humans blare air horns and fire guns to show their defiance in memory of those people that died. That kind of stuff will make your story stand out and be something that people will feel a kind of comfort in. Because one of the things that humans are very attached to beyond, like, wanting to live is wanting people to remember us and wanting people to, like, think of us as special. And finally have a lesson or like a binding ideal because while sure this genre isn't necessarily a morality play it's usually built on some sort of stress or like a, a warning so at the end of the day make sure your story isn't just misery porn because while there is some merit in that and there is a fan base it's a small fan base and also like a that that fan base is hungry for blood so take time to focus on the reasons why you're watching and also what we could do to avoid this result. But uh, yeah, with that, let's go to the soapbox. Alright, so at the end of the day, what do I think of Apocalypse Media? I mean, it's kind of boring, honestly. I mean, while I do it sometimes... You know, like, while I do sometimes like to imagine a post-apocalyptic world, I'm not actually very attached to the genre. I mean, sure, it's entertaining at times, like The Last of Us, but I find that interesting not because of zombies, but because it's like a noir western. It's a sad story about a man who's at the end of his rope, and is doing this job because he has no real choice in the matter, guiding a teenage girl that doesn't understand why she's different and just wants to live a normal life. And besides the whole infection thing Ellie has, you could entirely remove zombies from the equation and it wouldn't be a different story. But stories like The Walking Dead and even to some extent Terminator franchises, I'm not a huge fan of. However, what I am a fan of that I don't really get to use is ending an already established world. But I mean, honestly, after this episode, I think that's mostly going to stay inside. Because it's a lot of fun to write and figure out how to resolve all the loose ends in a way that's really cool and also fun to watch, and that, and you know, having people watching or playing along react to all the way. But now that I know more about it, I don't think I want to keep trying. Because sure, it might be fun, but I don't really want to piss the people off that I managed to wrangle into playing a role-playing game with me, or reading one of my stories. So, uh, I guess kind of a hot take? I mean, I get why people like it, but the best apocalypse stories I've enjoyed are ones that didn't have to be and could have been set anywhere. So, uh, I guess let's get you out of here. (laughs) 
that was kind of underwhelming. Similar to this genre. Hot takes aside, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed, like it, leave a review, whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytappods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. With questions, concerns, opinions, compliments, insults, um, actuallys, how you'd end the world, and don't worry, I won't report you to the FBI, your favorite apocalypse stories, and anything else you want to tell me. Also follow me on Twitter at waytappods, and go, uh, go watch on YouTube. Remember to check out my other podcast, Wait At, where I talk about other topics that are usually, uh, honestly, usually just as terrifying. But with that, have a good night, have fun, keep writing, and remember, maybe the apocalypse was the friends we made along the way. This has been Why Aren't You Talking About This, and I've been your host, William. Good night.